0: The Copywriter Club podcast is sponsored by Air Story, the writing platform for professional writers who want to get more done in half the time. Learn more at airstory.co forward slash club.
1: What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work. That's what Rob and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast.
0: You're invited to join the club for episode 64 as we chat with copywriter and funnel specialist Paige Potanian about finding success on Upwork, building effective marketing funnels using video to build a reputation and what she's done to accelerate her business over the past year.
1: Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey Paige. We're so excited to have you. So we met Paige in the first beta round of our accelerator program and now you are in the think tank. So we get extra, extra time to get to know you and also to see how you've grown your business over the last year. I think a good place to start was just with your story and how did you end up as a copywriter?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think I was writing copy or content, you know, starting at age 12. I started blogging, you know, that's what I would do. I was like a nerdy child and, you know, other kids are outside playing and or doing whatever. And I was upstairs like blogging about boys that I liked and, you know, all this kind of stuff teenagers go through. And I've had, you know, several blogs over the years, just kind of as a hobbyist kind of thing. And then when I was in grad school, I got a job as a content marketer. Or my official title was CMO. I was not qualified to be a CMO, but you know at startups they do like those fancy titles and stuff. So I was doing like blogs, just you know, general content there. And I actually had to do like landing pages and opt-in pages. So that's where I first like dipped my toes, I think, in copywriting. Then, you know, for several reasons, I didn't enjoy that kind of working setup. It didn't work for me. And because I was living in Finland and I do not speak Finnish well, it is sometimes difficult to get a job. So, you know, the, that pressure to find work kind of pushed me into the freelancing. You know, I had heard of Upwork, had done some research, and, you know, it was the kind of the meeting points, or that was the catalyst those pressures from deciding to leave my job, having not any other options available. I was like, I have to do something. So I started up work. I took Danny's course, the freelance to women course. I started writing content, ebooks mostly. And then then I decided that, you know, sales copy was really where the money was at. I mean, that's not why I stayed there, but that was what kind of attracted me to to sales copywriting. I actually enjoyed being really close to the sale. So, you know, doing the emails and the landing pages because it, it for me it was like the most strategic place to be and I'm kind of a strategy brain. So yeah, so now I'm here. So I moved into sales copywriting and started learning more about it and and slowly, kind of made the transition into funnels.
0: So let's go back page to when you were just starting out on Upwork. You know, we interviewed Danny for a previous episode of the podcast and got his take on how to succeed there. There are a lot of people in the club that I think try to go to Upwork and fail. They can't make it work. You know, they're finding ridiculously difficult jobs offered at you know fifteen dollars or twenty dollars for you know projects that take days to do. How Did you succeed? Like what was the secret that helped you succeed where so many others have failed?
2: Yeah, well, I mean he covers a lot of stuff in his course, so I wouldn't say it's one thing, but I would recommend doing his course. And I know when you're starting out, I think it's it was like five hundred dollars, I think, when I first took it. I'm not sure what its priced at now and now he even has like a copywriting course. And it, it seems like a lot of money when you're first starting out. You don't have any com- any income. You maybe don't have a job or anything like that. But it, for me, it was really worth it because you know it's all about the mindset. You learn how to screen clients, and you learn just how to ignore like. And it makes you angry to see people like asking for blog post at five dollars or something. But you know that that's a bad client or very likely a bad client, and you just ignore them. Like they're going to get what they pay for in most cases. So. Yeah, you know, I get offers every day even now that I charge, you know, well above what most people on the platform charge. And I still get like crappy offers too, and I just immediately decline them like I'm not going to waste time on that. So, I'm not an affiliate or anything, but if you want to succeed on Upwork, I think that either if you're not a natural and you're struggling, then his course can definitely help.
1: Well, let's say let's say someone listening can't take the course for whatever reason. He shuts it down tomorrow. They can't take it. What would you say is like the one thing they can do if they're on Upwork right now? They're getting loser clients. They want to get better clients. Is there one thing they can do tomorrow? Oh, that's a
2: good question. Of course, you're positioning. I mean, you have to kind of take a stand, not in a bad way, but even when I was, you know, first on the platform, I was always at the high end of the bid because I, I used to pay for the for the. Um, Kind of the pro account so you could see what people were getting. I think it's like taking this this problem solving approach. So I always get the most responses when I'm leaving proposals if I'm, I'm looking at it like a consultant. And that takes time to learn. But if you're studying your craft and you kind of know like the questions to ask, like what's their problem? Why do they need this? I mean, just basic things that we take for granted now because we do it all the time, but not just, you know, taking orders, being like invested in what they need in their, in their goals. I think that helps set you apart instead of just trying to pitch. Like I see it like as a conversation. You're trying to open a conversation. And you're not really trying to pitch yourself.
1: It sounds like doing your homework and actually understanding the client with the client prospect may need and then problem solving. But maybe not everybody is willing to invest that time in doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so I want to hear a little bit more just about your transition from writing content to sales copy. I mean it seems like you, you know, as a strategic thinker, you realize okay, there's potentially more money in sales copy and then it hooked you. But how did you actually make that transition? Because I know of a lot of copywriters that are trying to make that transition. And it it seems a little tricky if your background is in content and all your Mm -hmm. projects are in content what's the best way to really jump in? Is it just landing that first project and just like jumping in?
2: Yeah, I think I use the crystal ball method, which is another tool of Danny's. (laughs) And it seems like I'm promoting him hardcore, but I did find his stuff really helpful. (laughs) So basically, it's like you create spec work. So when I was first trying to break into sales pages, or it was more like, like medium sized landing pages, I just took some fictional businesses and like created landing pages for those copy and I also did a design because I'm of this kind of opinion that everything looks better in a frame and I think it changes their perception when they're looking at something that that looks clean and and somewhat put together than when they're looking at a copy document so that's what I did first I just made some spec pieces and I didn't like lie to the client and say that these are spec pieces if they would have asked but I didn't come out and say these are spec pieces I was just like here's some you know some proof of what I can do. And it was pretty easy that way, actually, to land a client. I mean, I, of course, I wasn't charging as high as I do now, but I was still charging more than kind of the bottom tier. So I think my first sales page or kind of landing page was like a $500 landing page selling an ebook. So pre-launch for an ebook.
1: Okay. And, you know, we kind of have this debate whether or not it's good to start on Upwork. Clearly it worked for you and you started on the high end. And do you think it's where every copywriter should start? And maybe that's just too big of a statement, but should copywriters start on Upwork or do you think that maybe they could just pursue another
2: path based on your experience? I don't know. I think you have to kind of do a gut check, like what makes, you know, the most sense for you. Upwork if you can crack it is actually really good because you're not really doing a lot of cold outreach like people are already coming to the platform looking for someone to help them. So like you're already in like the solution awareness stage with those people. They just don't know you exist yet. So I'm not that knowledgeable in cold outreach and that's something that I'm exploring right now because I have been using Upwork. So I think it's a good place to start if you don't have any network, if you don't have contacts in, you know, kind of the niche where you want to start if the idea of doing cold prospecting makes you like freeze and want to like hide in a corner somewhere, then I think Upwork is a valuable choice. But I don't think it's absolutely necessary that everyone has to start there.
0: So Paige, you've since shifted, like you said, from content to our sales-oriented copy. And lately, you've really been focused on funnels. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah. So I guess at the moment, I'm straddling somewhere between conversion copywriter and funnel strategist. So I, I still have clients just while well, I'm doing mainly, you know, copywriting, sales copywriting. And I'm trying to move them in a place where they're looking at it from a more strategic funnel perspective. And that's just kind of a it's just a transition. It takes some time. So the reason I moved into funnels is, of course, I'm a I'm a strategy brain. So I like systems and I like looking at the big picture. My mom always told me that I was most excited as a child at the planning, like at the beginning of a project than I was like at the middle and at the end. And that's just because I like dealing in ideas and, and mapping things together. So a problem that I encountered when I was writing sales copy for clients on Upwork was that, you know, any good conversion copywriter knows to ask, how is someone coming to this page or how do you plan to drive traffic? Like what is the flow there? And I was getting a lot of responses that were like, oh, we're gonna just drive Facebook traffic strictly directly to this page. And, you know, if you're selling, if you're selling an impulse buy, okay, that might work. You would have to test and see, but back then I knew that it wasn't a good idea if you're selling like a fifteen thousand dollar training program. Like I had one that was it was a really expensive program, and they were going to send like cold Facebook traffic. I knew that that wasn't going to work. That I didn't really know how to tell them what would work. I was just like, that doesn't really work well. I don't even remember what, exactly what I said, but it, it came from this place of knowing that if you, as the copywriter. Like You don't have to be a funnel strategist. That's okay. But I think it's in your best interest to recognize when something's not going to work because the funnel strategy impacts how effective your copy is. And if the client doesn't know anything about funnel strategy and they have a bad one, they're going to send traffic to your page. Even if you have like the best copy in the world, if the strategy is not solid, that's not going to be effective. And they're going to blame you even though it's not your fault and it's not under your control. So I think like, if you just want to be a copywriter, you don't want to you know, be a funnel strategist. That's okay. You don't have to. You, you'd be awesome at copywriting. But it's good to recognize when the client needs to bring in someone because it's going to impact like, the effectiveness of your work and how they see you and your relationship with them.
1: Well, it seems like even if you want to just be a copywriter, that you still have to have this understanding of the funnel to, so that your copy is more effective, like you said. So what can we do as copywriters to have a better understanding of the funnel and help our client more effectively? Is there something that we could do that you've done in your process?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, Joanna Weave. she talks a lot about the stages of awareness and, you know, the copy that you're writing has to pick up where the story left off. So, you know, the simplest thing you can do is know what's happening before they get to that page and what's happening after. And of course, read up on just basic funnel strategy. You don't have to know all the ins and outs. You just have to know the logic, kind of the high level stuff. And people are writing about funnels like crazy. So you're going to see a lot. I mean, after you spend maybe a few days, just like looking into it, you're going to be like, okay, I've read this before, I've read this before, I've read this before. Like it doesn't take long to kind of get to like a map, like the 80% that you really need to know. So just kind of be aware, kind of take the initiative to just get to know what's out there and kind of knowing what happens before and after in that funnel. So any copywriting project, you kind of need to know what the funnel looks like to write effective copy. And that's you know that's going back to the stages of awareness as well, and that you know that's part of the funnel.
0: So Paige, we've had a lot of discussion in the Copywriter Club Facebook group, and I've seen this happening you know around the web that some funnels are starting to perform less effectively than they used to, and it seems like everybody's got a funnel, you know, whether it's product launch formula style or ask method style or, you know, something else. And maybe it's just because we're, you know, in the marketing space that I see them all of the time, but you know, there's so many that, you know, have just long 40 minute videos and there's four of them. And so you've got to basically sit through, you know, almost three hours of content before you can sign up for something. And it, it sort of feels to me like some of this is getting a little tired. Are you seeing that? And, if you are like, what are you doing differently? Or what are you suggesting to your clients to do differently to avoid that kind of funnel fatigue?
2: Yeah. So there was a great article by, I think it was, was Hillary Weiss. She posted about some, some trends she saw in her industry. And I think, you know, you always have to keep your ear to the ground. And, you know, if you're selling, yeah, you know, I don't have any, any definitive kind of data on this. So this is just kind of my gut, kind of my gut reaction is you know, as a business owner, everything's not gonna stay the same forever. It doesn't matter if you have automated funnels or not. You kinda have to keep your ear to the ground, keep a really strong connection with your audience to know like, are you still solving their needs? And if you're not, then of course your funnel's not gonna work. Or, you know, even if they're seeing it so much, that could be a problem too. They're seeing it so much that they're starting to tune you out. So you have to like change your message and, and change what they're seeing. So I don't believe that that funnels are really declining. I think crappy funnels are really declining. Not to say these people have crappy funnels. This is a completely separate like issue. I posted the other day and I watched a video about a product and this guy went through the funnel, and there was like nine upsells and downsell pages in a row. He couldn't get out of that funnel. It was so ridiculous. I was like, <laughs> it mean, shows so much disrespect for your customer. And like, of course, those funnels are not going to work because you're already pissed off at like the third pop up window, and you're like, no, I don't want this upsell. Like, stop. Take me to my product. So I think as funnels get more popular, then how you put it together. And of course, the people seeing the funnels are getting wiser to all the tricks. So as long as you approach a funnel from a place of authenticity and understanding and trust, I think that people will have no problem using funnels.
1: So I like that idea of building it around trust and you know, not sending your people to nine different landing pages and breaking that trust. And I know there's a psychology behind a funnel. How do you think through a funnel, especially when you're helping clients or working on your own, so that you know when... It is a good time to send them to a landing page that they are ready to buy, that you're not overdoing it and potentially losing you know, your best clients. Is there a way to learn
2: that or is it just like a gut check? How do we do that? The first place to start with is what works. So there's a lot of people doing a lot of really cool things in the funnel space. And I start always with what's working for everyone else. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. So if you approach funnels more like dating, I think... That it seems a bit more intuitive. Like you don't want to require them to have too much commitment upfront. That's why when you run like cold traffic to a webinar, regardless of if it's you know a good webinar or a bad webinar, you don't get as good of a response because I don't know you, I don't trust you. While well, I'm busy, like why do I need to send, spend sixty minutes with you? You know, I already know you're going to sell me something. I have to be like really, 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 really interested in what you're selling. So I think you can start from a place of what works, and then kind of it's a little bit intuition as well. Like if you know your audience and you've been interacting with them, then you kind of can use that to kind of adapt. Do I need you know, a longer sequence or a shorter sequence? And then it comes down to testing. You just have to do things and see like what happens.
0: So I want to think about this in maybe a real world situation. So let's take a hypothetical. Let's say that I have a Facebook group of several thousand members and I want to move those members onto my email list or into a product. What are some of the things that I should be thinking about to make that happen?
2: Are you talking about the copywriter club?
0: Uh, no, this is a hypothetical
2: situation. <laughs> hits. <laughs> hits, hits everyone go sign up to the newsletter. Right. Yeah. I think like the approach that I like to take with lead magnets or like the the first contact and how you get people on the list is starting with how can you give them an easy win? How can you show that you can solve problems for them? So of course like lead magnet is obvious without like berating everyone and saying, oh, We're not gonna give you any more content if you don't sign up to our list, like, you know, that's maybe not the best approach. But I'm happy to opt into something. If it's solving a problem, if I'm going to be able to solve it quickly, and you know, it's something of genuine value to me. And again, I think that comes down to knowing your audience. So when I was first starting out, if you could have shown me like how to get my first client, it doesn't have to be, you know, a 50 page book, you know, I don't want to read a 50 page book, especially not in you know this coffee date situation, if we think back to the world of dating, I want something easy to consume. It's clearly valuable. It's going to solve a problem. It's going to get me an easy win. And I mean that's my approach when when I think about lead magnets and and getting moving people onto an email list. Of course, you can take the best approaches and you can use them, and it still may not work. And then you have to come down to having maybe involving your audience and like why don't you want to, <laughs> why don't you want to be on our email list or what do you need from us or something like that
1: page I'd like to hear more just about your process and I know you know we're working with you on funnel strategy so we kind of get to sit through it and experience it ourselves but for anyone that's listening that potentially wants to really integrate funnel strategy into their own work can you walk through just like
2: an overall view
1: of your process your client process yeah
2: actually I've been working on that a lot this week so I'm trying to kind of really narrow it in so I can communicate it well so I wrote a blog post, I guess it was yesterday or a few days ago, about foundation. And I find that a lot of people want to implement funnels. And more specifically, like if you think automated lead funnels too early before they have a solid foundation. So you definitely want to have a clear vision and what you want to achieve with your funnel. And then you want to look and see, do you understand your tribe? And you may even have to break your tribe apart into subgroups. A funnel should be really specific. If you think like the Copywriter Club, we have really advanced copywriters. We have people somewhere in between. We have newbies. Maybe we even have more than that diversity. So if I was creating a funnel for you guys, then I would start with one of those groups. Maybe it's the newbies. And then I would have to give them a message that's important for them, that's attractive for them. And then also an offer. That's attracted to them. So you definitely want to look at the foundation first before you even start, you know, building anything or putting together a lead magnet um, to make sure that that's solid and that you have a clear kind of path forward. And then after the foundation, once you have that set, then you move into the to the building. There's kind of a logic. You have the lead magnet, you have the kind of trust building sequence, and then you have the conversion event. And conversion event is just anything that requires more commitment. It might be a sale. It might be uh, a webinar or or something like that. Or to fill out a form if you're doing like a coaching or consulting funnel. So that's like where the magic happens. That's the actual like funnel build with the, the magnet, the trust builder and the conversion event. And then I like to test funnels. So once you have a funnel set up, I prefer to test with ads. And that's because with ads, you can test really fast. And you can pivot, so you can just get proof that it's working, even if you don't want to use ads as part of your strategy. I know some people who are really against using ads. That's okay if you don't want to use ads, but ads allow you to send a bunch of traffic to your site, kind of on demand. Of course, you want to use a really good ad strategy to so really target to make sure that your funnel will even convert. Because otherwise, and I have a video on this somewhere on my on my video channel talking about ads versus blog posts. Otherwise, you're going to have to spend a lot of effort creating content or, or promoting something and then 6 months creating content before you realize that this lead magnet doesn't work, for example. So I like to test, just do a small test to prove that, hey, this, this funnel is going to work. And then you can decide, do you keep... Depending on your strategy, do you keep ads? Um, how do you integrate with your content marketing? How do you integrate with your website? How do you integrate with your blogging? And, and whatever kind of moving pieces that you have as part of your, your marketing strategy. So that's kind of, I guess, a brief overview of my funnel framework as it stands this moment. And are you running the ads for your client? Um, At the moment, yes and no. So I've dipped my toes in ads with some pretty good results. But I'm thinking, I'm exploring the option of bringing on some people to to do the ads.
0: It feels like all of this is really interesting. But if you don't get the customer profile or the avatar right, it would be a complete and total fail. So what do you do at the beginning to make sure that you're talking to the right customer?
2: Yeah. So if I'm doing a done for you funnel, this is where there has to be a lot of collaboration between the business owner, me and whoever like owns the business, because I don't have that experience with their customers to be able to create something on my own. So what I have to do is I have to pull it from them. So ask them the really hard questions, preferably Or in an ideal situation, they have a customer avatar, and it's built on data, and it's not just assumption. In an ideal world, and sometimes that happens, but more often than not, they don't have, you know, they don't have a customer avatar. Maybe they don't even clearly have, you know, a good understanding of their customer. And then that's when I have to go in and say, you're not ready. We can discuss how we move in a different direction. So first let's start with the customer kind of development or research package or something like that, where you go and do interviews, you know, surveys and data mining, kind of the get to know your customer element. And that would be kind of separate from the funnel, but that's kind of pre work. You kinda have to know that before you can build a solid foundation. And of course you don't want to go further than that and build a funnel if you don't have a solid foundation. So So some people might keep going forward if they don't know to to use a really targeted customer profile or if they don't care. There's probably some people out there like that, but that's where the, you know, the the person who's taking care of you has to step in and say, We have to step back. You're not ready for this. Let's let's figure out how we get you to the foundation part. And that would start with kind of the research element. Interesting. Okay.
1: So Paige, I kinda wanna just shift gears and back up and like do a high level review of you and your business, let's say over the last year, because again, we've we've seen your business grow. And so what has kind of played the biggest role in your growth over the last year? Like, is it just more mindset or something else? Yeah,
2: of course, mindset is always a big part of it and i'm a huge like nerd about reading and stuff so i read a lot about personal development business development most i hardly ever do any pleasure reading anymore so almost all my kindle books are about business building wait isn't that pleasure reading <laughs> <laughs> actually yes but then some days you're like no i need to read about something that won't make my mind spin <laughs> i know so yeah i think like keeping a constant check on how i feel about how my business is going is important And I mean, not everyone is motivated to improve. I think that's okay. But if you want to take it to a different place, you're not happy with where you are or you're not entirely satisfied with where you are, then you invest in figuring out how to get there. And for me, that's, that's reading, that's talking to people, that's being in groups like the Copywriter Club, that's joining programs like the Accelerator, like the Think Tank with people who can help push me forward and, you know, kind of fill in the gaps for me. Right now, I'm reading a lot about pricing strategy. I think it's called the No BS Pricing Strategy book by Dan Kennedy, or it's something like that. So, yeah, for me, I mean, my, my rates have increased. I guess double since January. I think it's a little bit hard to think about where was I 12 months ago, but it's kind of been just a kind of an exploration, a constant checking in with myself, and deciding like what's my next move, and not trying to do everything at once, just taking it step at, one step at a time.
0: One of the things you've done recently, Paige, is focus on video. And you've done some amazing, I think, videos that you've posted in your own channel all about funnels, funnel strategy. Tell us about your thinking behind that, why you decided to do videos, and how that's sort of changed your approach to your business.
2: Yeah, so I'm interested in video primarily for the trust factor. So I think that even if it's not conscious on the subconscious level... When we see someone talk to us, even if it's over video, even if it's recorded, we kind of make a connection with that person, hopefully a a good connection with that person, or we can kind of start to see like, would would I like to work with this person? So for for me, it was a bit more about trust and about standing out. Copywriters are not notoriously known for getting on video because we're word people. We like to hide behind the words. We write great, great pages, but that's a way for me to stand out in the copywriting space is, is to involve video. So I'd say those are the two main elements, a way to stand out and a way to build trust. And, you know, just the act of creating content, whatever it is, is a way to develop your message and kind of develop your voice in the space. So for me, it's not really about being super accurate or being like a guru style person. It's more like being a helper, a reporter, an explorer and just sharing what I know. And the act of doing that actually helps me make better connections and helps me kind of sharpen how I see that I fit into the space. What's my uniqueness and what's my voice?
0: So a lot of people, when they start with video or with audio, they can't stand the way that they sound or the way that they look, or they get caught up, you know, in cutting things together. We're a little bit that way. You know, when we, we record, we don't necessarily love the way our voices sound. Like, did you deal with that as well? And how do you just sort of let that go to move forward and get things done?
2: Yeah, I was super terrified to do videos at first, you know, I don't necessarily love hearing my voice because I think I sound like I have a really high pitch voice. That's probably exactly what I'm going to sound like when I hear (laughs) the recording of this podcast. I'm going to be like, Oh gosh, I sound like one of those, you know, super preppy valley girl types. There's nothing wrong with you guys. Just saying that that doesn't, that doesn't match my personality. And in, in my head, I sound a little bit more manly than that. So it's, you know, it's weird. I don't know. You get over it after you've done it a few times. (laughs) And I don't know. It was just a challenge. I just pushed myself. I think Amy Porterfield, she wrote about, you know, her struggles getting into video. She referred to like, I think it was about weight issues or something like that. So I also have that like my face, like looks, you know, a little plump in the videos. You know, it just, it's a little uncomfortable, but you come to accept yourself for who you are and realizing that people don't see you the way you see yourself or the high standards that you think you should hold yourself to. People just take you for who you are at first glance. So I think it's hard at first, but you just have to be like, Oh, oh well, if people don't like me, they don't like me. But the right people will. And just do it. Just do it and push it out. It's better to build momentum and get started than to be perfect. I mean, still now I just got a new webcam. So the quality of my videos should improve. They're a little bit grainy and like fuzzy right now, but I didn't let that stop me because I knew if that if I let that stop me, then I would you know have this friction or this inertia and I wouldn't move forward. So the next step is to get one of those diva lights that Kira recommended. Yes, and then slowly kind of upgrade the quality. But for like I said, for me the most important thing was to just start talking, to start getting my message out there, and, and sharing my voice and taking a stand for for what I believe in my industry.
0: Some of us don't want that high quality video because we want to hide the smile lines and the other wrinkles and things that are starting to appear on our skin. So that-
2: oh. <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you then talking you might about? need a, a full <laughs> editing team to uh, go in there and polish that. Yeah,
0: that's exactly what I need. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Can you do Photoshop on video? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I'm really like low budget kind of video team right now. Right.
1: <laughs> So I think that's what, you know, you do so well and why you stand out and why anyone listening should be friends with you and just to just purely to observe how you kind of move through the business world because, you know, you just explained it well, but you jump into things and you have a great attitude and i mean we haven't even mentioned the fact that you've rebranded your entire business and relaunched your website over the last 6 months <laughs> <laughs> and the cool thing about that too is that you were really hiding on your initial website you know we i think you had one headshot that was like a, an old headshot mm-hmm. and didn't even really look like you and then since then, you, you're just like on video and then on every page of your website and smiling and, and just showing up in such a big way. And I think that is important because a lot of us tend to want to hide when we first start out and we don't want to really show up on our website. And you've just gone the opposite direction of just like, I'm going to show up consistently and, and it's working for you. It clearly is working. So I think it's a really good lesson for all of us.
2: Thanks. I'm happy to
1: hear that it's working. It is working, and yeah. I want to ask a question. I've asked you know a couple of other people, but you know you're in the copywriter world. You're friends with a lot of copywriters in these groups. What do you see as a missed opportunity for copywriters today? And this could be anything that comes to mind.
2: Yeah, well I think what you just said is definitely a missed opportunity. You know, we like to hide behind our words. It's hard for us to put ourselves out in front of our business. It's hard to take ownership or take a stand. And that's just, you know, that's okay. At the beginning you learn as you go and you build confidence and and then you're you're ready, or you're a little bit more ready to to kind of put your put yourself out there and put your face out there. So I think you know building a bit more personal brand, a bit more connection in your in your brand on your site, maybe it's through videos or whatever, is definitely a missed opportunity. Also, I think niching. That's I'm, I'm big on niching right now. I've had a few conversations this week about niching. Uh, because niching is really, really scary. And if you do it well, then it has, you know, tremendous opportunity for you to actually own like a space, a small enough space that could give you like enough work for a year and more than that. I think, you know, as solo service providers, being too niche kind of doesn't even make sense because how many clients can you really take in a month or in a year or whatnot? So I think niching is a huge opportunity because most people don't do it. Like, how can you get super, super, super niche and then really own that space? So we have a, you know, a member in our think tank who's kind of owned this like wedding space, and she's owned it for like 18 months. You know, she's been really rocking it. You know, my argument for niching, and I'm slowly trying to get there because it is scary. It is scary to say I'm only going to focus on these people. But what about these other people I can help? But you know, I joined the copywriter accelerator because it was for copywriters, not because it was a general business accelerator. And that's like my argument for niching is people gravitate towards what's relevant for them. So if you're helping course creators that create spiritual courses or courses about meditation, like people creating those courses are going to want to work with you because you're super relevant for them. And niching doesn't have to be forever. You can test a niche for like 3 months and then be like, I'm not really happy with this. Let's let's try a different niche. But I think that's that's a huge opportunity, especially for new copywriters who can't really stand out. I mean, there's so many of us. It's a super crowded space. that niching really is the only way to to really stand out somewhere and, and be known to the people who are most relevant for you. That's awesome. I believe in
1: niching. And I feel like even though I believe in it, you just sold me on it again. <laughs>
0: Paige, you've made tons of changes to your business this year. Would you Would it be fair to say, hey, what's the one thing that you've done that's made the biggest difference?
2: I think I have one thing, but it's been like a transition. So I think you have to learn to see yourself as a professional service provider. And I mean, I've heard others on the podcast talking about employee mindset and or being like the slave mindset or this order taker mindset. When you start to see yourself as a professional service provider, knowing how many billable hours of work you can do per week, you know, what you need to charge. To get as a business, not as a person, like not as income, but like as business revenue, how you deal with clients, how you approach your branding. Maybe you're not investing in a super professional brand, but you are a super expensive branding package, but you still want to look professional and show up. I think that impacts everything that you do, how you communicate with clients, how you set expectations. For me, I think that's been kind of the most powerful is going from this freelancer mentality, a little bit employee mindset to being a professional service provider. It doesn't matter if I'm only one person, I'm still a professional service provider. And I have to act that way. And I have to project that image. And I have to, you know, set those expectations. I think that for me has, I think, been the, the biggest kind of transition this year.
0: I love that answer. I think the more that we do that, you know, more seriously we take ourselves as professionals, the more we invest in ourselves, the better off that we're going to be. So I have one final question. You hinted at this at the beginning of our interview. You live in Finland and I think work with mostly American clients, but what's that like? You know, I've had this experience where I've lived abroad for a little while, but so many writers that would love to, you know, move to a place and then you know, run a copywriting business, wherever they are to explore the world. Tell us about how that's been for you.
2: Yeah, I think at the beginning, it was really exciting. And now I'm a bit ready to go back to the US. I love Finland and Finland has played a very important role in kind of becoming the person that I am. If it had not been for the pressure I felt here, like to get a job and, and stuff like that, I might have never moved into freelancing. I might still be stuck in like a corporate life somewhere. So I'm very grateful to Finland for that. I think it really depends on the person. Like, are you this explorer, adventurous type? Do you have strong connections like back home? I, I'm definitely interested in doing more traveling and working while I travel. <laughs> That's another thing of being like the B2B or the professional business owners. You kind of have to set that up and set expectations. You can't be always on call if you're going to be traveling and, and working also. I think for me, I'm a bit ready to move back to the US. I've noticed like my relationships aren't as strong anymore. Relationships that really matter to me. It's definitely exciting. Like the honeymoon phase, I guess this is what they call it with, you know, cultural things. But you have to think about, I guess, if you're going to travel, like how realistic is it? I mean, what kind of budget do you need? Do you know the language? I mean, it's really exciting, but you have to be really realistic about it because... Yes, they speak English everywhere in like the touristy areas. But if you really want to feel like you're a part of the culture, you kind of have to speak the local language to get to know people unless you're going to England and can just speak English. But yeah, it's it's a two-sided coin. There's, there's, there's good and bad. And maybe, I mean, we're in winter right now. So Finnish winter is notoriously dark and cold. So that also, you know, is impacting my answer right now. I'm a bit good days, bad days when it comes to that. So... How long have you been there now? Almost five years. So quite a long time. Wow. So it's really hard when you're like working from home because you don't have that community. yeah, like you don't have a, like a workplace community. So you really have to make sure that you make friends like with with local people and that you're really invested in outside relationships. Otherwise, you know you're always at home with your cats, not seeing anyone or avoiding going outside and speaking Finnish like I do most days. So you really have to take a lot of effort to make sure that it's something that you can really thrive that it's a situation you can thrive in.
0: And I like the honesty of the answer though because so many times people are talking about, you know, working from wherever and it's, you know, I'm working from the beach and it's, you know, nothing but you know, happiness and, you know, nice drinks.
2: piña coladas.
0: Yeah, nice drinks with umbrellas in them. And it's not always easy to make a living overseas.
2: I don't even understand how people work from the beach. I'm like, I can get anything done if I'm going to be at the beach. I going to be at the beach. I want to be present, taking in sun, listening to the waves. I don't want to be work mixing that together, you know? I don't know. I guess it's a personal preference, but I guess it could be glamorous. But my reality is that it's not as glamorous as kind of all these people try to hype it up to be.
1: Well, uh, Paige, we appreciate your time and you joining us and sharing you know, your experience over the last year, especially if anyone wants to reach out and become besties with you or just kind of follow you along your path, where should they find you?
2: Yeah, so my website is impactcopywriter.com. Of course, if you want to reach out on Facebook or Twitter or Medium or... YouTube, wherever. I'm pretty much anywhere. So if you just search my name, I'm the only page Poe in the world, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. So you will find me. Great. Thank you, Paige.
0: Thanks, Paige. Thank you all. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode.